Welcome to Inhale, Exhale, Elevate. I am Autumn Shelton. Today's guest is Eugenio Garcia. He is the founder and publisher of Cannabis Now and CannabisNow.com. The award-winning media expert and international speaker is a longtime advocate for cannabis legalization, as well as being one of the nation's leading cannabis industry ambassadors. Welcome to Inhale, Exhale, Elevate podcast. I am Autumn Shelton. This is a podcast hosted from our Santa Barbara Coast family cannabis farm to help keep your feet on the ground and your head in the sky. Autumn Brands and our female founders have a message that goes beyond just flowers. Learn about how our two families created a booming cannabis company that is leading the industry towards cleaner and more sustainable cannabis production. We aspire to move beyond strictly cannabis to help plant medicine lose the stoner stigma as we talk about all things holistic health. Eugenio, tell us more about you and how you got into the cannabis industry. Thank you, Autumn. I'm so happy to be here with you today. Um, I'm actually hatching in today from Bozeman, Montana in the uh, Rocky Mountain region. And uh, cannabis has actually been legal in Montana for medical purposes since 2004. Um, I would actually say that my journey with cannabis started a little bit earlier when I was a uh, a youth, you know, youth having fun more from the, uh, the, the untraditional side of things. And so I've always known the plant uh, since I was in high school and have had an appreciation for it. But it was always a scary thing to, to have a relationship with the plant for fear of uh, persecution uh, and for fear of uh, prosecution. Uh, but in, in 2004, um, literally my roommate came home with a bunch of weed and uh, I was like, whoa, like, what is all this weed? That's a lot of weed. And he's like, no, man, it's, it, it, it's great. It's fine. It's, it's legal now. See, I, I, I'm a provider. I'm a medical provider. Uh, and I was like, whoa, what, is, what does that mean? He's like, it means that I can sell legally to patients that are in pain or have medical uh, reasons for consuming uh, cannabis. And uh, this is back in 2004, 5, and 6, and I was just graduating college, and I actually – um, was a student at Montana State University here in Bozeman, and I studied political science. So after um, going through three different majors, I finally internalized it. Okay, what am I passionate about? What is what makes me uh, tick? And what it came down to was uh, paradigm shifts and uh, how the global community at large interacted with each other. And what I found was that politics and uh, the legal uh, structures is really is uh, has a lot to do with it. And when cannabis became legal in Montana after I graduated, I began in consulting uh, for uh, different businesses in the area that were trying to do basic things like hire people, sign leases, um, SOPs, uh, packaging, stuff like that. And uh, one day um, I had brought back a newspaper magazine that I had found on the corner of Haight and Ashbury. Um, my girlfriend, now wife at the time, uh, <laughs> Anna Garcia, Anna Pittman then, she lived right next to Hayton Ashbury. Um, and I was hanging out there one day and by one of these head shops on the ground, like on, on the sidewalk, there was a newspaper magazine called the West Coast Leaf. And it was a super heady like journal about like politics and legality, all about weed. And I remember bringing it back to Montana and giving it to my brother-in-law who was a grower or medical. And we were smoking a joint out. It was, it was like a winter, December, and we were smoking a joint outside, and we had the magazine. Uh, and he was like, hey, how come there's not a medical journal for cannabis? Like, why is there only 
you know, these, these like politics magazines and then like the stoner magazines, like high times, where's, where's the medical journal for this industry? And I was like, you know, that's a darn good question. And we did some, some searching and some Googling, went to Barnes and Noble and there was nothing. There was high times and there was weed world. And there was a, um, there was a magazine called treating yourself out of Canada but there was really nothing available to educate or entertain yourselves in an enlightened way. And so um, me and my brother-in-law's little brother, who was a dispensary owner, uh, Chris Fanuzzi, we co-founded uh, Cannabis Now in Bozeman, Montana with uh, 10,000 bucks and, and a bong hit. And, um, you know, <laughs> many, many years later, many years later, uh, and, and a lot more investment later, we were now the most widely distributed print magazine in the United States. Uh, we have a social media community of over 4 million. Wow. Um, and Impressive. Uh, we've been doing this for 15 years now, and it's, it's my life passion. And I actually have a, I have a copy of the first, the first uh, magazine. I don't know if you can see it in frame here. There we go. So That's the first the, one? The very I first magazine. And you can see uh, Lionheart Caregiving, uh, which is still <laughs> it was the back cover ad. And you can see that it's, it's, a, it's, um, it's glossy cover, but it's newspaper print. It's okay. newspaper print inside. And um, it, was all about oh. the Rocky, it was all about the Rocky Mountains. So it was really, it was really a, a Rocky Mountain journal. Um, and um, I'll show you something real quick since we have a moment. We actually almost went out of business in our very first magazine because um, at the time, uh, the governor, uh, the governor Schwarzer, Brian Schwarzer, um, we found online uh, a medical card, a medical card that had his name on it. And we actually thought it was real in our, in our ignorance. We thought it was real. And uh, we printed 6,000 of these, we printed 6,000 of these, and we put them all over Montana. And um, the plan was to distribute them in Colorado and Idaho and Wyoming and whatnot. And we got a call from the governor's office. And uh, there's a lot of little black marks on this one because they said, hey, um, you cannot disparage the governor in that way. I think it might have been an election year or something. Oh. And they said, they said, you need to uh, pull all those magazines off the rack. Otherwise, we're going to sue you. And I was, like, I was like, that's impossible. But what we can do is we can redact it. They said, okay, if you redact it, you're fine. And our poor intern, um, Brittany, we made her <laughs> Sharpie redact all 6,000 oh, uh, by hand, <laughs> which was nuts. Um, and so so we, we did two magazines here in Montana. And then I don't know if you know this, Autumn, but in 2012, Montana was one of the only states in the history of legal cannabis to go majorly backwards on its laws. So when they allowed medical providers, they, they allowed them to be, have unlimited amount of patients. And in 2012, because it was going so, so nuts and there were so many providers, they changed the laws to only allow them to have three patients each. Basically, Whoa. everybody out of business. Yeah, so that doesn't make any sense. We lost all of our advertisers overnight. And at the time, I was actually living in Berkeley, California, working as a manager for Whole Foods Market. And so we basically decided to end the magazine. And I was so frustrated with the situation. I said, you know what? I'm not going to let this die. We're going to launch this as a national magazine. We're going to launch this as a national magazine. I went to Steve D'Angelo, 
who was um, running Harborside at the time. And mm -hmm. he had just had a famous photographer photograph him for his own personal uses. He gave us the photos for free. We went to wow. Ed, Ro Ed Rosenthal. We said, mm -hmm. Ed, Ro Ed Rosenthal, we need some beautiful pictures of cannabis. And we kind of modeled it off of like the Playboy style where you have really uh, insightful, thoughtful content. And then you pair it with really sexy pictures to get people interested. So we took the sexy bud pictures that Ed Rosenthal had had photographed for his Big Buds book, and we took Steve D'Angelo as you know at the time he was doing a Weed Wars uh, uh, show on the Discovery Channel, so he mm -hmm. was really nationally. And um, we also had a small business, uh, a food business, my family called Montana Mex, and we had barcodes that we were using for salsa containers, and we graphically designed the barcode onto this magazine. And we sent an image of it to Barnes and Noble. And we said, hey, Barnes and Noble, this is the new national magazine for cannabis for the enlightened cannabis user. And they ordered 3,000 copies. And we sent them to Barnes and Noble and they sold out. And, no way. And uh, I guess the rest is, is history. Fast forward to today. Uh, I can't believe Barnes and Noble you know, would take on a cannabis magazine like that. That just seems I yeah, like it, today it, it's, <laughs> it's so hard, hard to get cannabis yeah, and, and mainstream is, anything. Yeah, this is what the magazine looks like. It's very much a coffee table magazine. Mm -hmm. Everything is thick paper, glossy. We really focus on on um, change makers, and it's it's a balance. The magazine now is a consumer focused magazine, but it's balanced to be uh, appealing for business owners as well. Okay, let's take a little step back because I want us to learn a little bit more about you. So you mentioned you have a wife. You also have a son. I have a baby boy, Mateo, who's about a, a year and a half old. And I have a little Pomeranian named Jasper. <laughs> and so how do you manage it all? I know you're a sought after speaker and you're traveling internationally, nationally, all over the place. You know, how are you managing family life? You know, I think family life is as manageable as you want it to be. I, I often say when I'm giving advice to, uh, to friends or families, like we, we, we make our own choices. Uh, we really do. And sometimes it might feel like we're doing things that we don't want to do. But unless you are getting handcuffed or you are getting hit by another car or some tragedy, you're pretty much your choices define what what happens to you and you control your choices. We have free will. So I, I definitely um, I do more outside of work than I ever have before. Um, before my wife, before my Pomeranian, before my child, it, it, really, it really was 24 seven. Um, I mean, I worked for six years without taking a salary. Um, I would, um, I'd wake up at 6am. I would go into work at Whole Foods Market, um, most of the time for the morning shift. And then I would get off at 2:33 PM. And then I would go work evenings in the magazine, or I would swap them. I would come in and work in the morning in the magazine. And then I would work till midnight at Whole Foods Market. So for about a decade, it, there was no work-life balance, uh, no vacations, yeah. no time off. It was, it was definitely, I would take my paycheck from Whole Foods and then pay my employees for the magazine. Wow. Um, and it was definitely something else. And then uh, we started to raise capital in 2017 and 18, and we were able to hire more people and, and grow. So it's definitely the team that allows me to, step back and, and really uh, enjoy the rhythm of, of work and life now. Um, but no, I, I think I keep it pretty balanced. And honestly, 
I am out there. You know, we do travel a bit. I think I did 130,000 miles last year. Wow. Um, <laughs> that is a lot. <laughs> some big chunks of, of international travel. Um, but well, your family uh, comes with you sometimes, right? So we bring them a lot. We bring them yeah, a lot. And I, for, for, for U.S. travel, I do try to go for one day or, or spend the night and come back quickly. And, and I, you know, hey, thank you to the Duttons and Yellowstone. Uh, Bozeman is a sought after place now. Um, people want to come to Montana. And yeah. actually in the last year, it's been very uh, more easy for me to say, you know what, rather than me fly to New York, why don't you fly to Montana? Uh, we've got amazing cannabis grow operations in Montana. We have wonderful recreation and a lot of people want to see Yellowstone country. So yeah, it's getting a little easier. It's still on my list. I still haven't been to Montana, so I need come to come down. visit soon. <laughs> come on. Okay. Down. So well, let's go back to the magazine. So what you started to kind of go into this a little bit, but what really makes cannabis now special and what is really your role as publisher in this magazine and how do you really kind of direct the creative of this magazine? Well, I, I will say that, um, I mean, for many, many, many years and, and really up until the last year and a half, two years, I was micromanaging every aspect of the business, whether it's sales or events or editorial. Um, you know, I had to not only do it because there wasn't that many team members, but um, I also there was I had to sh make sure my fingerprint was on it to ensure the quality. Um, you know, luckily now we have a very strong editorial team that understands what we're trying to put out. And, and that really speaks to um, we want to have um, we want to have content that is educational, enlighten, enlightening and entertaining. Those are our three core prin editorial principles. So, uh, uh, you know, it's very important that we have a product that is digestible by most people. So you won't find content in our magazine that is very, very extreme one day or very, very extreme the other. We want to really capture the whole, the largest amount of pro-cannabis or potentially pro-cannabis people that we can. Um, one of the unique aspects of our magazine is we're the only magazine available in the airports. So we're in 58 oh. airports nationwide. And actually, um, because airports are accessible by many, many different types of people, everyone's flying Every demographic goes through an airport. And so um, we also have to be family friendly is what we call it. So if a, if a young uh, person, a child or a teenager grabs the magazine off the shelf, there's no aggressive uh, photography. There's no nudity. There's no aggressive language. It's really a digestible uh, book. And um, the content is, is, is very much a balance between different departments. So we have a political department. We have a grow department. We have an edibles and chef department. Uh, we try to focus on music and sports. So all the different things that we as individuals focus on, uh, whether you know we're into um, eating, we're foodies, or we're into music, or we're into uh, fashion, we try to find how cannabis is touching those different focuses and tell those stories of the people uh, who are doing amazing things. And that's really what we are. We are a microphone for the individuals in this world who are doing amazing things who are pro-cannabis. So it's not so much a book on cannabis. It's a book on people who just so happen to use cannabis in their life. 
and that's how it really reads. You know, I think you started as you just showed us the original magazine. It was there's a lot of pictures of flower and buds and the the sexy buds, but you really transitioned to really honoring all these really unique people in this industry and all throughout, you know, the United States and maybe even the world as well. And and it's not you really highlight these incredible stories and how where these people have come from and and each magazine has its own theme. And I and I love your online, you know, as well, where you've really kind of se segregated it into, you know, culture and what's really happening in the news politically. Um, and then what's also happening in your current magazine. The thing that I really want to see, though, on your website is I want to see a page that has all of your cover photos from all your different magazines. Sure. Like that's what I feel is missing because those are all so unique as well. And that kind of leads me into my next question is how do you, how do you just determine who's going to be in the cover? How do you determine what image is going to be on the cover? Because they are all so incredibly special. Um, and so I feel like a lot of thought must go into it. That's a good question. Um, and actually, on, we were the first magazine in history to be allowed, we were the first cannabis magazine uh, in history allowed to be distributed on iTunes. So um, I don't know wow. if we're the only now, I'm sure, I'm sure other magazines are now on iTunes, but we went through a very lengthy process to be accepted via iTunes. Um, and this is, um, this is our app on iTunes. I know that's tough on the computer, but yeah. you can, you can, can see, see it. Yeah. all of our, all of our covers are here. Oh, okay. And if you go, well, can you to do your, that? Can you add it to your website too, so I can just yeah, go well, on your website if I want to go to iTunes. <laughs> if, you, if you go to the website and you go to the subscribe page, there okay. is, there's actually a link that says like go here to see all of our our issues. Oh, but okay. I, I I will t I'll make a note of that. Um, you know, <laughs> um, the content comes together. It's an it's an editorial process. We have a team of editors. Um, we also rely on our contributors. I mean, we've worked with hundreds of con contributors over the years, and we have a pretty good core group of 15 to 20 contributors that we rotate depending on what kind of access they have. So it's, it, it's a combination of what is the editorial team pitching to me, what are the contributors uh, suggesting to us, and then what have, what have I identified as something interesting for myself or that I've seen out in the field. A lot of what we talk about, I meet people when I'm traveling, or on online or on social media, or they email me and I say, wow, this is, this is something I want to talk about. And then we just put it, put it on the line. But, um, you know, one thing that we keep as our North star autumn in our editorial process is you can only tell so many stories. And, yeah. and I mean, if you want to tell every story that was worth telling, you would need to put out a hundred pieces of content every single week on the website, just to get it going. You'd have to have a weekly magazine. That's, 200 pages thick. It's just not possible. Mm -hmm. So what we try to do with our- And that's not quality over quantity, right? We want, we want quality editorial. Not just, yes, quality is absolutely important. But um, the, the, the secondary aspect is um, a lot of people take our magazine and they archive them like a National Geographic. And I, I'm not sure if you're familiar with, with how people experience National Geographics, but a lot of times they put them on a bookshelf and they archive them uh, in like a chronological, it's like a time capsule for, for nature in our earth. And that's what we've tried to do with Cannabis Now. We have tried to make it uh, a historical time capsule. So when we look back on what just happened in the last 50 years with this like insane moment that we're going through, 
we will have a historical time capsule of all of the aha moments. And that's what, that's what I think about. What, what aha moments are going on right now that we can capture and freeze in time so that when we look back at what just happened, we can see it. And then we also try to predict the future. So our, our slogan is the future of cannabis is happening now. So we also try to take the unknowns or the future trend makers or the future decision makers or the future aha moments, and we try to get them early. Um, it's kind of like discovering a future rock star or discovering a future actor as like an agent. So like uh, many, many different people, we have been the first ones to tell their story. And then we see them show up in all the other periodicals. We see them show up in all the different New York Times or whatever. And we love it when we're first, even if <laughs> too early. Sometimes it's like four years early and, and people are like, what's going on here? And then, and then they understand why later on. Um, the covers are very tricky. Honestly, if you look at our past covers, it was a pretty decent blend, 50-50, uh, 60-40 plant pictures, and 40% human beings. And okay. um, what we actually found was that human beings sold aggressively lower than plants. Lower? Lower. No way. Lower by far. Um, if you put a human um, on the cover it would be 30 to 40% less sales on the newsstand than a bud picture. Buds flew off the shelf. But this about is a human with a bud. Right, right. We, we, we have <laughs> this. But that was, that was 10 years ago. And so as we've graduated now into this new normal, we have been able to consistently put human beings on the, on the cover for the last two years. And, and it's a combination of the timing has now, you know, the, the, the tipping point has happened. Everyone now knows what the buds look like. I mean, you got to think about 10 years ago, people didn't even know what marijuana looked like. I mean, yeah. people, people thought of marijuana as like, like, you know, BC buds or, 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 or brickweed. And nobody knew the beautiful aspect of, of the female bud. And so just seeing it was so provocative and so gorgeous. And after about 10 years, People are like, okay, I know what that looks like now. And the celebrities are now willing to put their face out there. Yeah. So in the last two years coming out of COVID, we said, okay, we are only going to put celebrities on the cover who are making a difference in cannabis. So that, that's what we have focused on. Now, sometimes for special editions, like for example, this one is a special edition. This My is, personal favorite. This is, this is just a... Um, <laughs> This is just a, a, a photographer in, in the cannabis space, Emily Eisen. She's, She's a amazing. photographer and a woman of influence. Mm -hmm. So for the special editions, we will get more creative and either put a bud or somebody who's not famous. But then um, for the main national issues, um, we will do celebrities who are really doing something special in cannabis. And luckily now, celebrities are actively getting into cannabis and that, that can be anything from a sports person to to uh, a musician to an actor to a famous politician as long as people look at them and they reckon if the majority of people can recognize the face that they are looking at that's how we pick the cover okay yeah okay can you give us our viewers any uh insider info on themes that will be occurring in the future of cannabis now you know it, it, it if you talk to our if you talk to our editor uh richard 
Richard has um, he, he has joined us two years ago, and he's a, he's brought a lot of um, experience to the table. So we were really self-taught publishers and editors for the first ten years, thirteen years of our magazine. A lot of the people that we hired were either right out of college or just getting into their profession, and um, we just taught ourselves what we needed to do. And when we hired Richard coming out of COVID, he has experience with GQ, with Esquire. He started People Español in Mexico. So he has 30 years of publishing and editorial experience. So he's been able to uh, pair our passion with his understanding of, of the process of making a, a world-class uh, magazine. Um, but we can't always predict what the themes are. So it'd be very nice for us to be like, oh, this is the sports issue. This is the medical issue. This is the music issue. But with cannabis, you kind of have to take what you can get because uh, yeah, yeah. we're, we're still in a bit of infancy, even though we've been doing yeah. this for 20, 15 years now. Um, yeah. So what we try to do is uh, six months out, nine months out, we put, it, we put the feelers out there of who is the big story that we can tell. And once we get that story uh, or celebrity, then we build the issue around them. And that makes the theme of the issue. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So for most of the people in the industry, other than MSOs, select few MSOs, and then those that have been able to kind of expand into a few different states um, through licensing deals or whatnot, um, you know, they exist like myself really in one state. I love, you know, that you are really focused across the United States and across the world for that matter. Um, so could you provide some information to our some predictions um, about what 2024 might look like on a national scale? Um, from the U.S. perspective, I, I don't think much is going to change um, in like the, the laws um, per se. I think we're in an election year. I don't think people are going to do anything crazy in an election year. They're going to kind of, they want things to stay the same and, and ride that consistency. Um, I, as you, as you know, I, I think that we might see a, a lower classification um, mm -hmm. from a medical perspective. So uh, the regulations, um, the schedule might change for cannabis, which mm -hmm. um, could jumpstart the, uh, I, it's interesting correlation, but we need some good news. What, what has happened in cannabis in the last three years is 90% um, of the available cash to run businesses or to start new businesses, um, the people who have that money, the investors, the private equity groups, they've been unwilling to write those checks into cannabis because they haven't gotten their money back from the right. first 10 years. Um, right. So some people have made money, but nowhere near enough for the market to have confidence. So I think that if we can get a, uh, a lower regulation uh, in, in, uh, you know, to, to a lower schedule, I think that that will give enough of a jumpstart uh, to the industry where people will be like, okay, that's, that's movement. Okay, the, the yeah. government, the federal government is moving in the right direction. We will start writing checks again, which will then fund the existing businesses and the entrepreneurs who want to start new businesses which will be better for everybody in 2024. So the only, the only, uh, and, and there's actually one more thing. Um, European companies are actively and aggressively coming to the U.S. and U.S. companies are finding opportunities in Europe. So, so I think that there's three things that that I can predict and also that I'm hopeful of. 
Number one, uh, we will um, we'll, we'll get a, a reclassification of, uh, of cannabis as a lower schedule, which won't really do that much for us from an access perspective, but it will give an indication to the investors that it's now we're going to the market to start to come back up and they will start writing checks again, which will fund uh, people starting new businesses and allow existing businesses uh, to grow. And it'll uh, give money back some of the tax dollars back from the 280E as well. So people will start to have a little bit more money in their pockets yeah. until it becomes federally legal. And then they want to charge another tax on top of that. And then. And, then, and, I, and I also think that with some of the, the European markets potentially coming online, um, for example, Germany, um, it could also give an opportunity for successful brands in the U.S. Um, and or picks and shovel companies, whether it's lighting companies, nutrient companies, infrastructure companies, mm -hmm. to go to Germany, which is the largest economy in, in Europe, and, and activate their brand in Europe. So those are, those are the three things that I think might happen this year. Okay. I mean, it was also interesting to see Thailand go back on recreational cannabis and then Ohio also have a little step back with regulations as well and saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. So it'll yeah. be interesting to see if we see that with any other, any other states or countries yeah. that have legalized. Yeah. And I know it, it's, it's not exactly, uh, well, it's not your focus. Um, you know, Autumn Brands is focused on premium, clean, sun-grown, amazing uh products um <laughs> thank you know, you. and other products but i think there also is a major disruption happening with um what people are calling hemp um mm -hmm. that that yeah. get, that gets you high or or affects you um you know intoxicating uh, intoxicating uh yeah whether it's cannabinoids oils isolates or flour now whether they're manipulating the lab results or actually having genetics that are that are uh, less uh, delta 9 thc uh, you know, exposing um, some people and, and it depends on the number. It for sure is a minimum of a $5 billion industry all the way up to a $30 billion industry, depending on it's so hard to track the black market um, yep, yep. Or, or to track, um, you know, things that aren't, aren't trackable, but um, there is significant activity in, in um, non non-state regulated sales of cannabis products in the billions, which is cannab um, it's uh, cannibalizing uh, the cannabis market. People the are regulated market. just walk into a, a gas station and get high and walk into a dispensary. Uh, and it's slowing down the legal process in some of these states that don't have cannabis laws because they aren't getting any more pressure now because their constituents can just go get high uh, in, in a different capacity. So that's also something that um, we are paying very close attention to. And, and seeing how it's affecting uh, the state regulated market. And it's scary for our kids too. I mean, they can walk into a 7-Eleven or a liquor store and buy these products and, oh, you, oh, and you consume enough, they're getting high. So there's no regulation there. I really struggle. I really struggle with the intoxicating hemp market. And one, also just how you mentioned, cause it is competition for what, how hard I've worked to be in this regulated market. Um, but it also, you know, it also affects who can actually the access of who can actually get it, and so well, and, and um, Autumn, that 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 speaks to um, I don't know if it's a prediction per se; it's it's more of a wish. Um, cannabis is a really potent substance. I mean, I mean, if you're not ready for it, and you take a big old puff of a joint or a bong hit or an edible or or a vape pen, and, and you don't know what's happening, or you 
don't have the experience or, or the, um, you know, the, the control, you, you don't have the experience in your system. Um, you can be in la la land for five to eight hours. And sometimes it can be scary um, and not comfortable, not fun. Um, and I think that what I would like to see uh, is really two things in 2024. I would like there to be more education on how to use cannabinoids safely and, and, and for fun. Like I want people to be de-stressed, to enjoy their, their meals, their music, their sex life, their movies. You know, I think that depression and anxiety is so prevalent these days. Yeah. And rather than taking opioids or other pharmaceuticals, I really think that cannabis, even in the most micro capacity or macro, if you need it, can really change people's lives, but they need to be educated on how to do that. And that's what we try to do with our magazines. We try to have a comfortable medium where you can educate yourself to engage with the plant. But also, and this is something that maybe you have some thoughts on, I think that there is far less um, 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 protection on what is safe cannabis. What are we putting into our bodies? Is there pesticides there? Are there harmful uh, additives? Um, is the packaging sustainable? And that's one of the reasons why um, you know, I was excited to be on this podcast with you and why I've enjoyed my relationship mm -hmm. with your brand and with your family is because you guys are focused on uh, what really matters, which is safe cannabis in a sustainable medium. And I, I think that that is the future. It's not only the future of, of the way that, 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 that people are thinking in, in their lives, non-cannabis related, organic, sustainable, um, you know, farm to table, but that is the future for cannabis. Uh, absolutely. But there's very, very little entrepreneurs and companies that are focused on it and committed to it. Well, that means everything to me, you know, you know, because that is what we focus on and, and making sure that, you know, we are 100% pesticide free and taking it past, you know, that conventional or just even organic pesticides, because like we say, you can't wash your lettuce or you can wash your lettuce, but you can't wash your weed. So, you know, and you're, you're heating something up that can really affect you. Um, so being able to really know where your products and your cannabis comes from, what farm, and that's the beauty of a regulated market, you know, before you just got it from some guy off the street and you, and some people still do. And that's why people are still getting sick and still getting harmed. And so it is so important to buy products that you can trust yeah. and to create a sustainable earth. You know, we are, you know, we're, we want to create a world that our kids can continue to be happy in and live in and breathe in and be healthy in. And so everything that we do is so crucial and so important. So I really appreciate that you see our vision and the hard work that we put into our company and our brand and our ethos. Um, even if we sacrifice, you know, making more money because of it, you know, for us being true to who we are and being true to the consumer, keeping these products out of um, kids' hands is, is so critical. Um, and well, so being able to continue that message is key. Well, stick with it because um, I know it's a bold prediction um, and not just because I used to work for Whole Foods Market, but um, I actually predict, uh, and this might be the first time that I'm saying it, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, go back to this recording. Um, the first national either grocery store or retailer that will pick up cannabis products, I believe, will be Whole Foods Market. Uh, the founder, John Mackey, is very pro-cannabis. Um, and, you know, Amazon and Jeff Bezos have proven to be rule breakers mm -hmm. and, and mavericks 
Um, they have incredible influence politically. Um, I think it might be a stretch to see flour in Whole Foods Market. I think that, that that actually is one of the most challenging things with cannabis is is inhaling smoke. Is the We have to have better devices to, to protect mm-hmm. ourselves from that mm-hmm. medium. Um, but whether it's salves, which I know you have an amazing mm-hmm. product, salves, um, salves and tinctures, yep. um, and, and, and whether it's beverages or edibles, those mm-hmm. will be the categories that will end up in Whole Foods Market. But Whole Foods Market will only, and this is where they will not budge, especially with cannabis, they will only take the companies that have a sustainable mission and that are 1,000% safe. And you have to be able to have prove that and have a history of it. So I really think me, that- Me, could, me, me, choose me. This is the first nationally sold brand uh, in America uh, if, we keep our, if we keep our eye on the ball. I really believe that. I might have to try to start working some connections. You know, my husband's family had a health food store, three health food stores, and they sold them to Whole Foods really? over, tw- over 20 years ago. Wow. Um, up in Northern California in Sebastopol area. Oh, uh, was it, did they sell it to Walter Robb? Uh, I, I don't know. Well, Walter, wasn't around then. Walter Robb was one of my mentors at Whole Foods and he was the co, he was, he was the co-CEO and he, he started owning grocery stores in Sebastopol also. And he sold his grocery stores to Whole Foods. So well, anyway. they would have known him too. Cause yeah, my family's the Shelton family and they had food for thought. And oh, then I they sold them to, yeah. I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. Very cool. So come yeah. on, Whole Foods. Gotta carry yeah. Autumn Brands. Yeah. <laughs> I like your prediction. I mean, hey, Autumn, it all starts with a meeting. And you know what? The yeah. easiest thing is to is to get a meeting and to get to get told no. So we'll we'll work in twenty twenty four. Let's get a meeting with Whole Foods and go from there. I can take lots of no's until that yeah. I get that yes. <laughs> no, it sounds great. Um. So let's see what else I got for you. Oh, I did have one more question. Um. So which states, if there are any, do you think have really set up the regulation platform correctly or for success? Unlike some of these states we know that are just still really struggling. You know, to figure it out. Honestly, Autumn, that's a tough question for me. Um, you know, as an editor and publisher, my my focus is split between so many different things. Um, uh, there's a lot of what I pay attention to, which is just business and running the company and creating opportunities. Um, the editorial, I would actually have to ask my politics editor that question. I, I don't think, and I think the answer is nobody has done it well. Um, yeah. And we have yet to see a model that that is, that is strong out there. Um, I mean, I know that there are companies that are successful in Michigan, that uh, there's a really great company in Michigan called Loom that um, mm-hmm. have been able to be very successful and they're, they're pretty uh, positive about the way things are structured in Michigan. Um, Montana ain't bad. We, we, do, we do a pretty good job. There's very little oversight here in Montana. Um, I think that the, the state, when they do come on, that will do it the best is actually Texas. I think that when, when, when Texas- Really? Yeah, I think when Texas comes, okay. Texas is a very independent uh, state. I mean, uh, they could be their own country almost in some capacity. Yeah. yeah. And um, we have more subscribers in Texas than anywhere else in the country. Uh, no way. Uh, yeah. It is a big state, though. I mean, it's huge. It, it's a big state. They love their weed down there. And um, you'd be surprised. And I, and I actually think that when, I mean, right now, Texas A&M has a big cannabinoid hemp program where they're, they're really studying hemp and cannabis. 
And um, I think that when Texas comes on board, it will, they will actually really um, support the business to be done in a successful way yeah, so yeah. that there are uh, thriving businesses and that the government gets their, their take of the money to support the communities, which is how businesses balance with, with government. Well, I look forward to see how that prediction pans out as well. <laughs> so our question always of the day, how do you elevate daily? You know, um, with, with the baby boy, the elevation has been a little bit more conservative, but I, I would say <laughs> over the years, I've had a very specific relationship with cannabis. And honestly, it's been, it's been the same for 20 years. Um, if it's a weekend, I don't mind consuming a little bit of cannabis in the morning, especially if I'm golfing or fly fishing or doing something active. Um, if I want to get into the zone and do some cleaning or do a project that I, I don't really want to do or you know, mowing the lawn, I, I always love a little bit of cannabis. Um, I, I'm a daily cannabinoid user, um, but usually it doesn't start until after 420. So, um, <laughs> I, uh, it, you know, especially when running a company, um, you know, you are responsible for other people and uh, their security and you're responsible for the product that you give to your customers. So uh, because I don't use cannabis for a very specific medical reason, um, I don't keep it in my system consistently. And if you, if you are a cannabis, what I've seen and witnessed is if you are a cannabinoid user consistently, you create a tolerance to it. And it's, it's, it's something that you can use continually throughout your day and or might help you perform at a higher level. Um, for me, I, I don't consume cannabis during the day. Uh, I mainly consume it in the evenings uh, or when I'm about to go to bed. Um, I will say I haven't been to the theater. I haven't been to see a movie uh, in 20 years where I haven't smoked cannabis prior to the movie. I love, I love going <laughs> I love smoking a little hit in the parking lot and going right into the theater. It's the best experience ever. Um, but no, I'm, I'm a moderate. I'm a moderate. And I, I truly believe that the, the future of cannabis um, is in moderation. Um, I think that the, the recreational um, therapeutic use of cannabis is actually about 20%, which is a really low number of the future cannabinoid users. I think that 80% of people in the next 50, 100 years that will be using cannabinoids, it will be in a medical device. It will either be a pill or it will be like an inhaler or some sort of a, a high topical. Um, and it will be something that they will use in a medical pharmaceutical you know, way. Um, I, I think 80% of people will use cannabis in the future as opposed to whatever it is now. So I, I think that cannabinoids, cannabinoids absolutely are the future of health and wellness. And, um, and a lot Your of people- has has the endocannabinoid system when we have the natural receptors for it. A lot of people will still take bong hits and they will still smoke joints and, 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 and uh, still have like dabs and oil pens, but they will not be the majority. The majority of people will wake up and they'll take a little, a little cannabis pill in the morning. Um, and that will be their cannabinoids for the day, or they'll take a little tincture or they will take a topical. And um, that will be the, the 300, billion, $500 billion industry will be the medical grade cannabinoid user. I really believe that for cancer, for, for stress, for depression, um, the, the billions and billions of dollars that have yet to be created in this world around cannabis 
hasn't even really started yet. Begun. Yeah. We haven't no, even talked about hemp yet. We haven't really even talked about hemp yet. Hemp, <laughs> another podcast. Let, let me come back on and we'll talk about hemp. Perfect. I'm excited. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. This was amazing. And I love getting to know you better and having you on here and sharing your wonderful story with our viewers. This podcast is an extension of Autumn Brands, which was formed by the passion and knowledge of two families that focus on wellness, balance, and a higher self. Our family farm along the coast of Santa Barbara County uses sustainable farming techniques, natural sunlight, and pesticide-free cultivation. You can find our products in dispensaries and delivery services throughout the state of California by going to autumnbrands.com and clicking on buy now, or you can find us on Instagram at autumnbrands underscore. Thank you again, Eugenio, for coming on. Thank you.